folks, I just want to let you know, uh, I would love for you to stop right now and open up a, a, a Safari or whatever your search engine is. Go to YouTube and Google Bob Newhart, stop it. It's a little six-minute skit with Bob Newhart and Kristen Wiig. She's, I love that lady. She's so funny. But uh, I, I, we can't post it in this video because YouTube will take it down. But you can watch it on YouTube and then come back to the sermon because I'm going to reference that video. And you'll be a little confused if you don't know what I'm talking about. So do that and then uh, come back and we'll, we'll talk more. Amen. Amen. Thanks, you guys. It's good to see you guys back together there. Uh, some of you have already texted me this morning thinking that we're back in the building already, and we're not. Uh, those guys are there. I'm here. Uh, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. God bless you guys and all you do for your families. Uh, welcome to all of you that are new uh, with us or you know, watching this later on even. We, we're really glad to have you, and we'd love to meet you in our space someday. Uh, by the way, I was married 28 years yesterday. Amen. June 20th is our anniversary. My parents are married something like 600 years tomorrow, I think. I, I forget how many <laughs> years. <laughs> but happy Father's Day to my dad, and happy anniversary to you both uh, tomorrow. And, uh, you know, I've got this one picture of my father hanging in my office uh, where he's sitting at the table, you know, like just sitting there, like looking over the table and just, you know, like when all the family comes together, if we could ever get everybody in one room, it is like a small village, all the great grandkids and grandkids and kids and spouses and everybody else. Uh, you know, my, my dad, like sort of like the, the king of his little castle, you know, all, all his kids together. It's kind of cool. But anyway. Uh, God bless you dads for what you do. Uh, a few announcements just to get started. Uh, again, just have to continue to say this. We are moving away from using Simple Give for our reoccurring gifts or our giving portal on uh, our website. So if you've been using Simple Give, please go on there, follow the directions on the giving page and move it over to Breeze. Uh, you could just click that first banner the, or, or that second banner, the Cultivating Generosity banner or the Give link on our site, and it'll have directions there. You can give through Venmo. Uh, you can find 6-8 Vineyard Church on Venmo. You can send a check to the church, 1116 Lancaster Avenue, Bryn Mawr, 19010, and we'll get that check deposited. And lastly, let me just give you a little directions on the text to give. Um, we started this option a little while ago. Uh, the number to to do this is you just simply text the word give to 610-590-9199 and Breeze will auto respond with payment details, you know, credit card or bank transfer, whatever you want to put in there. And it will use that as a default payment option all the way into the future. And it will always default to the operating fund unless you give it a specific fund and you have to just include that fund name behind the, that uh you know, the number that you put in. So if you put in 50 benevolence, it will put $50 into the benevolence fund. Uh, all the fund names are up on the, the giving uh, portal on the website. Anyway, uh, parents, again, click the uh, kids, parents, kids banner, the third banner that comes up on our website. Uh, on Wednesdays, that's renewed for the following Sunday every week and with all the materials for your kids to do church on Sundays. And I know Kim has gotten a bunch of stuff in the mail. It's all coming to my house uh, for our virtual VBC, which we're still going to have to do, I think, uh, this summer uh, virtually. 
and that'll be fun. Again, also, uh, if you're looking for spiritual direction, uh, we have people that are trained as spiritual mentors. Just email spiritualmentors at 68.org and somebody will, uh, you know, uh, get you connected with the right person. And that's a person that can just help you walk out your spiritual formation uh, practices and things like that, help you understand what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Um, you know, I want to remind us that we are still giving to the Middle East Kids Camp. That fund is still up on our giving page. Uh, I know that I talked to them this week. Uh, they, you know, they are having some financial difficulties over there in the work that we're doing in, in the Middle East. Uh, and, uh, just because of this whole COVID thing. And it's, it, it's really important that we give, give something to these kids. We've already raised a bunch of money and we want to send them off, uh, really well. Uh, they're probably going to do that camp either in July or August. Um, and finally, just the last thing, I hope you got the email I sent yesterday. Um, if you're not in our sort of uh, email list, uh, email jordan at 68.org and get on there and, and you'll get, you know, info, information. Or, or you can actually also uh, go to the front page of the website and right down at the bottom right there's a there's a newsletter thing those are two different things the newsletter and our email list i'd like to see you on both uh it's helpful but it talks about you know how we're planning on regathering in our church space it's not an easy thing to do somebody just thinks you know oh just open the doors and it will all show up it's not that easy and uh we want to be responsible with everything and uh you know we have to figure out live streaming because there are people that are not going to be comfortable meeting uh for a while into the future so we want to offer them something as well and we can't just live stream from our computers at the church uh so just let you know um be praying for all that uh, we're going to start with a, a video. I love this video. It's funny. And I just, you know, I, some of you may or may not know Bob Newhart, older comedian. Love, love this guy. He's just got a dry sense of humor. So let's watch this together. Oh, shoot. I cannot get past that video. I have seen that video. I don't know how many times and it still cracks me up. It's just so funny. Um, if you guys know me, I love stand up comedy. I love skit comedy. I just, I just, can't get enough of it it's like it's like an addiction in my life but that's a really that was one of the classics right there uh we'll get to that in a minute but anyway we find ourselves today in john chapter 20 if you have a bible you can turn there it's good to read along as i read aloud uh just kind of like helps the word root more into us so i would urge you to grab a bible if you can uh john chapter 20 but before i get into that i want to recount the, the many different portraits that, uh, of Jesus that we've discovered, discovered throughout this series. This is our 20th sermon, uh, in this series. Uh, he is he, all these different titles that we've experienced this whole time. He's the Word. He's the Son of Man, the Teacher of Teachers, uh, the Satisfier, the Physician, the Bread of Life, the Fountain of Life, the Savior, the Light, the Shepherd, uh, Resurrection and Life, King, Servant, Encourager, Vine, Giver, High Priest, and Truth, uh, truth and, uh, crucified king. So, and, you know, as we think about that list, it's very evident that John is painting a very multifaceted, complex portrait of Jesus as God with us in his gospel. It's really cool. And chapter 20 paints the portrait of Jesus as resurrected redeemer, as well as recounting his first post, uh, resurrection encounters with the disciples. Uh, 
last week we looked at his very painful crucifixion. I gave moms and dads a little bit of a, you know, content warning because it was so graphic. And now we see after three days he's risen from the grave, right? And over a period of days, Jesus appears to the disciples, but one of them was not present at that time, and that was Thomas. And we're going to look at him today. But let me begin before we get into the passage. I just want to pray for us. Father God, we thank you for this morning. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and light on us in a way that is uh, uniquely you, uh, defining and, and, uh, and just rounding out our experience together this morning. We pray that you would love us, uh, you know, as well as you always do, to give us un- understanding and insight into your word. We ask for clarity where we might have none or, 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 or clarity where we might feel cloudy. Father God, we love you, and we want to serve you, and we want to see this world um, come to peace and, and come to freedom that is found in your gospel, and we know that our world needs that right now. So teach us so that we can be changed, and we can be an, a change agent in the world around us. We thank you, Father God, and in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So let's turn to John chapter 20. We're going to be starting in verse 24, and just we're just going through verse 29. It says this. It says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Now, I want to stop there a second. That is written actually in the continuous tense. They kept telling Thomas over and over and over again, we've seen the Lord, we've seen the Lord, we've seen the Lord, right? But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in, into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side. You remember Jesus has that, that, that wound in his side. I will never believe, he says, you know. And then verse 26, it says eight days later. So a whole, over a whole week's past, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, interesting fact, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then said to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And again, I want to stop there and point out that that is also written in the continuous tense. Don't be always disbelieving, right? Don't be in this continual state of just disbelieving and doubtful, but be believing, right? Uh, Verse 28, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Amen to that, right? You know, we don't know much about Thomas other than he was one of the 12, right? And, and it seems that Thomas is sort of the culmination or the pinnacle of John's gospel. Some say that John's gospel is written not to believers, but to unbelievers. It's an evangelistic gospel, right? John writes in verse 30 and 31, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, because they couldn't write everything down, right? And then verse 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that may, that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen, right? So John's portrait or purpose is to paint this portrait of Jesus as the Son of God for those who are continually in this state of, of harboring doubt, right? 
So Thomas is interesting. His personality is complex. He, you know, revealing a little skepticism mixed in with uh, a lot of loyalty and faith, actually. He's here seemingly very doubtful and skeptical, wanting physical proof, right? Yet back in chapter 11, you have to realize that when Jesus proposes that they go back to Judea to help when Lazarus had died, the other disciples are like, no way, we're not going back there, because they were afraid the Jewish believers or the Jewish leaders uh, would kill Jesus and maybe even them. But Thomas, at that point in, in chapter 11, verse 16, says this. He says, let us also go that we might die with him. So Thomas, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big statement, right? And so Thomas was also the disciple who asked in John chapter 14, verse 5, Lord, we do not know where you're going, so how can we know the way? So Thomas was the guy that always wants the details. Chapter 20 gives us a picture of Jesus as the resurrected Redeemer, but it also paints this portrait of Thomas as the loyal skeptic, right? The guy with all the unanswerable questions, right? You know, Thomas is very real. He's very human, and we relate to Thomases in the world, right? If I could take some liberty right now to outline what Thomas may have been like, but very definitely what some of us are like, I might say that, you know, say this. I might say Thomas has seemed to be the guy on the periphery, right? He's part of the crowd, but you don't hear or see too much about him. He's in the community, but he's sort of in and out. He comes late. He leaves early. He'd be the guy who sleeps in and misses worship and comes up in our elevator at our building right at the beginning of the sermon. <laughs> Some of you do that. Anyway. And God bless you. I'm not, I'm not criticizing you. But he's not, you know, he's not there with them. And they're gathered together three days later to witness Jesus' resurrection, you know, and he's somewhere else. He's off somewhere else. He misses out on that communal aha, wonderful aha moment with everyone when Jesus first presents himself. His attention's drawn to other things, right? You can almost hear everybody saying, man, I wish Thomas were here to see this, right? And I imagine if the disciples had kept a photo album of their little family of faith, their little 12 family of faith, right? Thomas would be in only one or two of the pictures, you know, maybe years later flipping through the photo album with their, you know, their grandkids on their lap, you know, stumbling across a picture of Thomas. The kids might ask, who's that? Who's that, granddad? And he would say, oh, that's Thomas. He was always in and out. He never really could get close to him. He was always kind of plagued by a, by a nagging doubt, right? See, Thomases are frustrating people. Uh, they keep the community at arm's length, right? Everyone has to be, everything has to be, uh, proved or have a proof text or, or it has to be seen to be believed. They're always right in their thinking. They're skeptical. They're questioning. They're downplaying another's experience asking, Oh, did it really happen like that? Uh, you know, it's sort of like Scrooge, right? Bah humbug. I'll believe it when I see it, right? Meanwhile, everybody else is gathered and experiencing worship and the word and growing in community, and they're seeing Jesus together, and they don't have these roadblocks in their hearts. Meanwhile, Thomases are off to the side doing something else, preoccupied with doubt, and they're missing out. They really are. And as I thought about Thomas, it came to mind that he's like so many of us reflecting our own hearts so clearly we all have a little doubt, wondering, you know, in that moment, in the quiet moment, is this really real? You know, we all get distracted by life, wandering in and out of community and worship. 
However, when we're there, we have these nagging moments where we say, you know, I don't believe it. I, I just want more proof or some proof, you know, if we feel like we don't have any. You know, I was watching a film the other day about Christians who go out and pray over others in their community. And I find myself sometimes like Thomas and watching this film, like, well, did that really happen? And, you know, that's kind of hard to believe. Was that guy really healed or, you know, was he able to walk before that? Right. Thomases are always saying, well, it could have been this or it could have been that. Did God really do that? Or are you making it up? You know, they're always questioning. You know, we Thomases don't show up enough to see Jesus, and as a result, we miss out, right? And when we show up, the tapes of the skeptic play in our head, crowding out any vision or experience of Christ. We watch others in ecstatic worship, and we sit there and think, what a showboat, put your hands down, you're being so emotional, right? And we deny that experience. Thomases have and realize this, this is a very important part. Thomases have experiences, experienced a lot of Jesus in their lives. Thomas saw firsthand Jesus feed thousands of people with a few loaves and a fish, right? He saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, heal a blind man, and, uh, and a woman from years of bleeding, among other, many other things. He heard Jesus say more than once, the Son of Man must the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised to life again, right? He heard Jesus say that right before this all happened. Yet for Thomas, all that is forgotten in the light of Jesus' death. Thomas is the guy who can see miracles right before him in one moment and still not look to the future with expectation of what Jesus can do in his life in the future, right? Many of us face issues in life, and it seems that like Thomas, everything we've seen and heard and learned of Jesus just seems to go right out the window in the face of our trials, right? Isn't that a shame? We react not out of faith, but out of desperation. And instead of saying, well, this might be hard, but I know Jesus is right here with me. He's been with me in the past, and he's promised that. I can't wait to see what he'll do. Instead, we say, What am I going to do? Everything's falling apart. And we don't look forward in expectation of seeing Jesus appear, but we almost forget he was even there in the first place. And doubt blinds us to the work of Jesus right in front of us right now. So like the disciples surrounding Thomas, other people say to us, Jesus is here. Look, let's look, let's look to him together. And they keep telling us that, like the disciples did with Thomas. And they urge us to turn to Jesus in our trials, to cling to him in our desperation. And to us, it sounds so simplistic and stupid. But like Thomas, we say, I won't believe it. You know, I have to take care of this myself. He's not here. He's not showing up. You know, like I said, Thomas's are frustrating. (laughs) they remain in community on the periphery and some 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 people give up on them and some don't and we'd all like to see them engage more deeply and if we're honest we all have a little thomas in us right 
the disciples, you know, allowed Thomas to stick around. He remained a part of their small uh, community, but I imagine they were fairly frustrated at his unbelief since they had clearly seen Jesus already resurrected, the resurrected Redeemer, right? I mean, have you ever been eyewitness to something? You've been there when it happened only to have people deny you or not believe you. It is, it is one of the most frustrating things in the world, right? There's an article called On Staying at the Table. Great article. It, it concerns our disillusionment with community when we find out that church is actually difficult, right? And it said in this article, it said, other people choose to stay in community sort of, but withdraw their hopes and enthusiasms and energies, eventually creating the kind of community that Revelation calls lukewarm. This is the condition of many of our churches. People have dealt with their disillusionment by sort of staying in community with each other, but not at any depth of investment or risk. Thomases can be like that, right? They can. The same can be said of our relationship with Jesus because uh, our church community and, G- and, our, and our relationship with Jesus are intricately tied. He's been in, you know, when he's been in the grave for three days and, and, and when he hasn't shown up as we've expected him to show up, we stick around church, but gr- we grow doubtful that he will come about or even show up. And, and our motto becomes, I'll believe it when I see it. But if that's our motto that we live from, we might be closing ourselves off from actually seeing Jesus' work. In the first chapter of Unbound, a book by Neil Lozano, my neighbor and friend, he lives right there. I can see his house. He lives in my backyard. Uh, We're neighbors, and he's on my uh, prayer prayer shield. He prays for me. Great, great man. But he tells the story of a, of a young girl named Anna who had grown up in an alcoholic home and had come to him for, for prayer. And she wanted to be free from the demons which plagued her in her life. And she wanted to forgive those who had hurt her. However, when it came to praying to Jesus, she couldn't voice the words. She couldn't get them out of her mouth. Life had beat her up to the point that she had become a Thomas. And Neil sensed something in her, and and, and the Holy Spirit led him to pray for this girl like this. He prayed, Lord, Anna has lived in chaos and has never known what to expect. She wanted to fix things, but couldn't. And Anna, at that moment, began to sob. And Neil continued. He said, but the thing she doesn't understand is why you didn't do anything. She knows you are God. She knows that you can do anything. And she's cried out to you. She's begged you. And cried herself to sleep night after night, and you didn't seem to answer. Now, at this point, Anna was sobbing uncontrollably along with all the other people in the room, and Neil finished his prayer, and he said, Lord, I don't understand why you didn't do anything or you didn't do something. And they all wept together. And the interesting thing is it was at that point that Jesus showed up for this woman. Just at that right time, And who knows why it was that moment? I don't know why. Neil doesn't know why. You don't know why. Anna doesn't know why. But maybe it was like a ripening fruit, right? Maybe she was finally ready to be open. Maybe she was finally ready to forgive. Maybe that was the moment he walked and showed up behind her locked door, right? You know, when others eventually grow silent towards the Thomases in the room, Jesus doesn't. 
He doesn't grow silent toward them. He shows up for, the, for, for them at just the right time. As we gather around the table, the proverbial table is church, and everyone is lovingly urging the Thomas among us that Jesus is alive and is well, and he is here for them. Jesus does show up. We don't know when and how, but he does. He could show up and rebuke Thomas in some condescending tone, but he doesn't do that, does he? Because he's not really threatened by Thomas's doubt as we are. He'll stoop low. He'll guide Thomas's fingers into his wounds and, and the same wounds which bring Thomas's healing. And he'll reveal the painful scars of his own crucifixion to the, this half-loyal skeptic. He's not mad at Thomas or looking down on the skeptic. He wants to reveal himself to them, right? You know, questions are good. They are good. It's actually a sign of intelligence to ask good questions. And Thomas had questions, and Jesus was not threatened by those questions. He invites sincere questioning from those who want to know him, and we invite them as well. Even the most learned people have deep questions, you know, simple questions or frightening questions, and none of them are really threatening. Thomas found his answers, though, in relationship, in experience of Jesus and in the faith community, not in some big, you know, list of answers, right? You know, there's a painting by Caravaggio. You, I know you've seen it. Caravaggio always painted in high chiaroscuro, very d- light and dark, like strong contrast of it. Uh, he was a master of that. And, you know, Jesus is standing there, and he's leading Thomas's hand into his side, right? You know, he's, Jesus is taking the hand of Thomas in that painting, and he's leading the questioning process. You know, Thomases may think that they're really smart, that they're in charge of this process, that they're being only logical or rational with all their criticism and questions. But Thomases seem to be the one demanding answers or the one in charge when we look at them. Yet, you know, Thomas discovers that Jesus is in charge of leading him into a deeper faith and a deeper understanding. Jesus doesn't answer all of Thomas's questions but he leads Thomas to himself, specifically to those wounds that actually heal Thomas's doubt. You know, 6-8 exists for everyone, right? You don't have to believe to come here. You, you can be disillusioned or hurt or even angry with the church. You can be curious about spiritual matters and come and ask sincere questions. All of us are, are, you know, are at different points on our spiritual journey, and some of us are like Thomas. We're skeptics. We've seen Jesus' work. We've heard his words. And on a good day, we might say, I would die for this guy. Let's go die for this guy, right? But on bad days, we might say, it's really hard to believe today. I can't seem to wring one ounce of faith out of my crooked heart. And this community should always sit around the table and urge us closer to seeing Jesus appear Community can answer some questions. We do have some solid, good questions about Jesus, about the kingdom of God, and about you know, what all this is about. We do have some of those answers. But for a Thomas, those answers are never enough. Jesus has to break through. He has to come. He has to enter in behind the locked door. So if you're a Thomas, maybe you feel like everyone around you is trying to answer your questions for you, and all those questions fall short. 
or they're simply saying, now concerning your doubt and your lack of faith, I'm going to say just two words to you. No need to write them down. It's just two words. Most people can remember. Stop it. Just stop it. Gosh, you're being such a big baby. Maybe that is what they're saying to you. Maybe they don't know how to deal with your doubt and your lack of faith, and they don't have answers for you. Maybe they doubt themselves and they can't really admit it and you're exposing that in them and and they just panic and they say, stop it. Well, don't get mad at your brothers and sisters for not knowing exactly what to say or how to say it in the right moment. Most of us aren't, you know, skilled counselors and great theologians. We're just people trying to muddle through. We're on that, you know, learning curve ourselves. They're just trying as best they know how to move you forward, but we can all agree that stop it isn't probably the best counseling technique. It's simplistic, and it can be very hurtful, actually. Although I will admit that there have been some men that have discipled me in my life that have said, Jason, just stop it, (laughs) and I needed to hear that at that moment. But, it, but stop it doesn't really account for all the complex, complexity of a Thomasonian heart, does it? We need good counsel from our community, even if it's not done well sometimes. Community may not be able to <clears throat> give you all your satisfactory answers in just the right way, but we do need Jesus. We, what we need is Jesus, actually, right? And like Thomas or Anna, when he does appear... Allowing us to feel, you know, he shows up behind our locked doors, allowing us to feel his wounds. We all say, my Lord and my God. And all skepticism and all the disbelief melts away as we stand before the resurrected Redeemer. And all of our, you know, pithy logic and all that stuff, all those questions don't really matter in his presence, right? You see, Thomas had been around the track with Jesus. Many of us have been around the church for many years. You know, you, some of you are very churched people. You've, you've seen Jesus work. Thomas had, had not only heard the stories, but he had lived them. He had seen them happen. And you've, you've heard the stories. I bet you've seen the Lord do wonderful things in your life and, and in the lives of other people around you. Yet Thomas, like many of us, remained in this sort of weird state of disbelief at times. And in the original wording, Jesus spoke in the continuous tense saying, Thomas, you're always disbelieving. Start practicing belief. Start believing. Right? As if to say, even when you see, you're always questioning. Stop it. Be in a constant state of turning to me, constantly believing, constantly renewing your belief more and more as you go. You see, Jesus has the right to say stop it to Thomas because Jesus bore those wounds on the cross that we talked about last week. John went through a lot of pains tracing the unbelief of others, which culminated in the painful crucifixion of Christ in his gospel. His gospel comes to a crescendo in the skeptic that is closest to the resurrected Jesus. John ends this section by recounting Jesus' response to Thomas. He says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, if in the second book of the Chronicles of Narnia, I don't know if you've read that or you've seen the movies, you should. It's really good. But Lucy, this little girl, one of the the, the siblings, uh, Lucy's the only one who can see Aslan halfway, Aslan halfway through the story. And Aslan is the god figure, this giant lion, right? But she can only see him. 
And the others scoff and they don't believe her. But then Peter says something really interesting. Peter's her brother and he couldn't see Aslan. But Lucy's saying, I can see him. I can see him. And he said, the last time that I doubted Lucy, I looked pretty foolish. And throughout the movie, Aslan presents himself to Lucy since she's ready, but it doesn't mean that he's not actually there with the others as well. You know, at times we just need to listen to our brothers and sisters. Even if they don't say it well or do it right, we need to be encouraged by their words until we can see Jesus show up for ourselves. We need to believe. To believe without seeing. To be believing without seeing, right? You know, you may not be able to put your, your, your fingers in his side or feel the holes in his wrist, but you have seen him work, and we only need to face the future with expectation of Jesus showing up because he's promised he will. And when he, when he doesn't show up as we would like or as we've expected, it doesn't mean that he's not there. We are called to faith and obedience through all the rich and the hungry times as well. Because even the locked doors of our soul can't keep Jesus at bay. At some moment, even when those doors are locked, Jesus will appear on this side of them, in front of you, and guide you through all of your doubt. But, but, let me just say this. Wouldn't it be a blessing to to be believing without seeing? Because doubt really saps us of energy, and it keeps us closed off. But trusting and believing open us up to see Jesus at work. God bless you guys. I'm going to close us in prayer, and I'm going to remind us to be patient as we wait for regathering in our building and be praying for your leadership as we uh, make those decisions and get things ready and solve all the logistical issues. If you uh, have never volunteered for the church, we do need uh, people, so email jordan at 68.org and Tell her of your willingness, and we'll get you plugged in someplace on the schedule. That would help for us to reopen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for Thomas. We thank you because Thomas reflects our heart so much at so many different points in life. You are something that we don't always understand. And sometimes we don't understand why you seem to be silent. And I would remind us that we can pray to you as we would talk with any other person. That we can believe that you are there and that you are hearing us and that you are listening to us. And that you know what's best for us. So scrub us of our doubt. Scrub that poison out of us. Not in an anti-intellectual way, but in a relational way. Open our hearts up to be trusting and faithful to you because you have showed up, you are showing up, you will show up, and you have promised that for us. And we ask this not just for ourselves. We ask this so that we can be about finishing the task of bringing all nations into your kingdom, that we would be willing to go back to Judea and die with you so that others may know you. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. I hope to see you soon in our building with Vinny and the band up there playing again. It was good to see Greg and Albert up there and Jack. That was awesome. All right. God bless you. See you next week.